Welcome to the Every People's Podcast, where we share our stories family style. Here on the show, we dish out Christ and culture as a taste of the Every People's Worship in Revelation 7. On this episode of the Every People's Podcast, I have a conversation with Gary Alaka about board game community, navigating race, immigrating from Bulgaria, and following Christ out of an Eastern Orthodox background. Gary is our True Vine Youth Coordinator in New Life Church and designer of the popular board game Rival Restaurants. Let's dig in now. I'm your host, Tom Sugimura, and our guest today is Gary Alaka. Gary, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. Gary is our youth ministry coordinator here at New Life, husband of Tiffany, and also a new dad. How does that feel? Uh, still hasn't uh, hit me fully, but... Uh, well, you're expecting this year. Um, right. So what, what's that like? First child, what kind of excitement are you feeling? Uh, a lot of excitement. Uh, something that we've been praying for 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 several years. Um, it's still unreal. I think until we see the the baby in, in person, uh, it'll probably hit me more so. But it's uh, it's been a crazy couple of months. I think just coming through the news and then um, starting to prepare for yeah. the baby. There's a lot of joy, a lot of anticipation. Um, as you think about being a father, what are some of the uh, the things you hope to do? with your child, as a family? What are some of those, those hopes and dreams that you have? Ooh, let's see. Um, I think there's, the, there's a very practical things that are very, um, you know, what you see on TV, you know, playing ball with a kid and um, things of that nature. I think for me, because I've worked with youth so much, uh, I think I'm excited for sort of the, the teaching aspect. Um, and teaching in the sense of like living life with your kid. So some simple things like, cooking and gardening and, you know, going around and sort of helping them learn how to navigate through through life. Um, I'm excited to, you know, we, we've had a children's Bible for a few years now. That, uh, <laughs> just has sitting a, on the shelf, just waiting the shelf. for the child to come. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. So to, to crack that open and, and, and to go through with it and even things that I don't know I had growing up in terms of like bedtime stories. Excuse me, bedtime stories and um, and the likes. So I think going through and experiencing that both as as a dad and kind of seeing it through through a child's um, perspective as well. Yeah, yeah. Some of that's bringing your own childhood experience, but some of these are going to be new opportunities uh, with your own child. Um, that that is exciting. And and one of the blessings is they don't grow up all at once. So you kind of get to grow with them through the stages, and um, that's a joy. We're excited for you and for Tiffany and. Um, we can't wait to, to see the uh, little baby uh, come. Uh, but uh, you're, you're not there yet. You got a little bit of time to, to prepare um, and you're working right now. What, what is it that you do for, for work, for your career job? So uh, my, my full-time job is, um, so I work for a uh, insurance company um, and I used to be on the underwriting side of things um, for really exciting commercial uh, insurance. Uh, now I've, I'm in a new role for the past maybe 18 months or so on the products and operations side. Um, so I primarily deal with specialty insurance for different um, corporations. Okay, okay. Um, a lot of math involved? Yeah, it's a lot of uh, working with Numbers actuarial. And, yeah. yeah. Okay, all right. Um, now outside of your day job though, you are also um, a designer for the popular board game, Rival Restaurants. Um, so how would you describe rival restaurants to a person who's never played it in their life? Ooh, okay. Um, let's see. So it, it's a, a, a real-time board game where you take on the role of a restaurateur or, or, or a chef, and the objective is to sort of collect ingredients and cook your way to, to victory. Um, it's the kind of game that really takes a lot of um, negotiation skills, uh, where one day you are, you know, friends with the other players, and the next day you are um, frenemies of, of, of sorts. Uh, so it's, it's the kind of game that really gets the blood flowing and, and, and tries to sort of pit you against one another to, to get to that uh, victory point. All right, all right. So very interactive, a little bit of strategy. Um, and 
Uh, how did you get into that business, the board game business? Um, what what got you uh, enticed into that? Definitely um, by, by, by chance, in, in the sense that I, I've always grown up playing a, lo a lot of board games. Uh, the more sort of mainstream traditional games, you know, you have Monopoly, you have Scrabble, Clue, um, games of, of, of that genre. And then it wasn't really until college that I started getting into the more what are considered hobbyist board games. So, you know, the ones you've probably heard of, like Sellers of Catan, um, Ticket to Ride, Splendor, um, etc. And I was always on the sort of consumer side of things, uh, really interested in the games and you know, got my family into them, started getting more and more friends into them. And at, at the same time, um, a buddy and I were, were trying to sort of not necessarily start a company, but we're trying to think of like, what can we do as, as a nice little like side adventure to figure out how to use um, some of our passions, some of our talents. And uh, the original idea actually was to make a escape room in a box, wow. right? And this is when the escape room craze was happening back in what, 20, maybe 14, 2015. And um, we wanted to sort of create that experience for people, but in their homes. And the ideas went everywhere. We wanted to have you know, a wedding where you have, you can rent an escape room and then people will come out and we realized that that's not a very big market for people who want an escape room at their, at their wedding. Um, and then you know, we would go to this idea, it's like, well, maybe we'll sell it as a product and we'd go back and forth. And every time we'd get together, um, there'd be two things in common. One is we'd have Thai food. And the second one, we would leave with this comment of like, let's just build it. Right, because we'd have all these ideas how to use it and, and, and all the planning, but we'd never actually built the actual thing. Um, and then at the same time, we had a mutual friend who had already designed the game that is Rival Restaurants. Um, he had made it years ago um, just for pure fun. Um, and his friend, who's also a mutual friend of mine and, and my wife's, um, had illustrated the game. So they had created this really full functioning board game um, you know, fully designed. Like if you saw it, you think like, yeah, I could probably buy this at, at Target. Um, and they made it and sort of just left it on the shelf and it, and it sat there for, for years. And coincidentally, we just happened to have dinner with him one day. He actually, he had like a kind of like a board game night, come out, see the game, see if you liked it. We came out, we played it and we were like, this is incredible. Like, this is the greatest thing we've ever played. I can't believe that, that he made this. And over the next few months, kind of decided like, hey, like, what if we take this idea we have for what we want to make and actually take something that's made um, and turn it into, into a product? So um, it was definitely, I think, you know, God's sovereignty at work, just putting everything together and saying, hey, you know, you guys come together, make this happen. And I mean, three, four years later now, it's incredible to see how, how well the game has done and really how well our team has grown um, together as well. That's great. That's great. Yeah, yeah. And um, one of the joys of board games, I know you're, you're talking about this, is it brings people together. It, it allows them to do something uh, for fun, brings people together. You can talk, you can have uh, friends over it. Um, what are some of those benefits, those, those blessings that you've seen uh, just through the whole board game environment? Yeah, I mean, even the, the, the company that we started, it's called Gap Closer Games, right? And the idea, the identity of the company is to create an atmosphere, right, that closes the gap between mm, people, yeah. right? And board games are, are an amazing way to, to do that, um, where, you know, age doesn't matter, occupation doesn't matter, ethnicity doesn't matter. It's just people come together um, and, and play the game. And what we've seen is getting into the hobby, like, getting really into the hobby, uh, there are these things called board game conventions, which you kind of figure every hobby has conventions. Um, and these are like, you know, they're, they're renting out these ballrooms, these conference centers, where you've got thousands, if not tens of thousands of people that come together just to play board games. And what we've seen through that is we're able to meet and interact with people we probably wouldn't really have the, the chance to, right? Um, these are people who are maybe not in our communities, they're not really in, in, our, in our circle of influence. And we've been able to meet, I mean, hundreds of people through that. Um, and then even beyond that, when you, when you go sort of more digital, right, through different platforms like Instagram or Facebook or whatnot, um, able to interact with people who, again, you wouldn't be able to. So, so board games, both from playing them with strangers has been a real blessing, and then also as a, as a designer, as a publisher, um, engaging with people um, from all around the world really has been just a really, really cool thing to, to do. Yeah, yeah. So you've got, you've got the opportunities to, to meet new people, 
um, to connect on that level. Um, and I think that's great. I think that's part of why we exist in this world is to create new things, um, to image forth God. Mm. Um, any plans for future projects Be- beyond Rival Restaurants? Is there is there a, a sequel? Um, is there uh, is there another project in the works? There is. Um, so we're, we're currently developing a new game called Illiterati. Um, and this is a, a cooperative word game, right? So think of Scrabble t- type of game uh, where you are cooperatively working together to build out these, these words. And uh, the, you know, the spoof is against the Illuminati, right? Where there's, there's this sort of secret society of, of supervillains who want to destroy literacy in, in the world. Uh, so we, we, we try to make games that sort of take a, a comical approach to um, to different subjects. So, you know, even the villain themselves are kind of like your, your Saturday morning villains where, you know, the worst thing they do is, you know, spill water on your, right. on your book. <laughs> or misspell uh, a word. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, so we're really excited for it because it's something that, you know, hasn't really been, been done out there. Um, and we've been, you know, sort of testing it over the past, past year, which has been hard, right? Because with COVID, um, conventions are on pause, meetings aren't taking place, everything is being done um, virtually. Um, but that's the next project um, that we're working on. The, the beauty is because it's sort of a, a, a side gig or a side hustle for us, we don't have the pressure of like timelines that we have to get things out, um, which can be good news, but also can make us a little uh, lazier than we'd like to be. Uh, but Lord willing, within the next several months, we'll be able to sort of finish it um, and then release it in um, 2022. Wow, it sounds so wow, far from there. Yeah, it'll come sooner than you think. Exactly. Yeah, well, that's great. I'm, I'm looking forward to that game. I know my kids enjoy rival restaurants, and um, so that's wonderful. I want to hear about your story. You've got a pretty unique story. Um, tell us about your family background, what it was like growing up. Um, what, what was, and tell us, tell us your, your, your story. Yeah. Um, so let's see. So I've now spent two thirds of my life in, in, in the U.S., uh, but I was originally born in Nigeria. Um, so so my, 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 my dad's Nigerian and my mom is Bulgarian. Well, she's technically Armenian, but sort of grew up in, in Bulgaria. Um, so I was born in Nigeria, spent really the first four or five years of, of my life there. Remember very little of it, uh, to, to be honest. Um, and then when my, when my parents separated, um, we moved to Bulgaria, um, which is really where I count my, my childhood to be, right? I was there from about age five till um, age 10. So I, I spent really you know, my, my childhood there. Um, that was, even though Bulgarian wasn't my first language, um, it was the first language I learned like fully, right? Reading, writing, spelling, uh, speaking, etc. Um, so you know, spent my childhood there, and then like you know, like a lot of Eastern Europeans do, you know, you apply for a visa to to try to come to the U.S. Um, and looking back, you know, when you're a kid, you don't really know what that is or, or think about it um, too much. Um, but you know, I think my mom had applied for two, three years, four years. Um, and we, we had family here in, in, in California. Um, so, you know, finally, like, you know, it got approved. And, and I don't even remember like when my mom told me we're, we're moving. Um, I don't think I was sad or, or anything. It was kind of like, oh, cool, well, you know, some, some new adventure to, to go on. Um, so yeah, back in 99, we basically then moved to, to the U.S. And, and we as your mom, yourself, uh, other, other brothers and sisters? Yeah, so at that point, uh, it was my mom, myself, and my older brother. Um, I also have an older sister, um, but at that time, she was already living in the U.K. Um, so she's about 15, 16 years older than, than me, so she was you know, in her early 20s um, at that time. So it was my mom, my brother, and I, we moved to the U.S., um, and... I think and it wasn't until really the past few years that I've realized like how big of a deal that is, right? For for my mom to leave right, her her family, you know, her her job security, right? Um, you know, thankfully her English was was strong, right? Um, even while while in Bulgaria, she worked for the Nigerian embassy, 
right? Um, and so she had, you know, strong English skills. And, you know, my brother and I, we, we spoke English, but it was kind of like buried deep inside because we didn't, we didn't use it. Sure. Um, he was going to an English school, so he was starting to kind of practice it. Um, but for me, it was something that just must have existed back there. So the, the transition wasn't too hard when, when, I, when I came here. Uh, but yeah, we, we came to the U.S. We moved here to, you know, Burbank um, in, in California. And, you know, just the Lord provided, you know, he, he, he kept us together, kept us afloat. Um, and it really became kind of that, you know, that American dream of you come here, you know, to the land of opportunity and you, you can see how, you know, it's structured where, you know, if you do, you know, work hard and try hard and you, you know, you go through education, um, there are so many opportunities that open up to you. Um, so, you know, thankfully within, actually before I even turned 18, um, my mom got her citizenship, which then, you know, automatically, um, applied to, to me. Um, so we were able to sort of, you know, make that sort of migrant family journey um, with, without a lot of the struggles that, you know, some families, um, I'm sure, face um, sure. as well. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good. That's good. Um, so you, uh, you, you found the opportunities for advancement. Um, things are going well. Um, tell us a little bit about your faith story, because um, how did you come to Christ um, and what was that like? Yeah. Um, so this, I would say, also probably goes back to Bulgaria. So um, like a lot of Eastern European countries, um, they're Orthodox by almost tradition. Um, so the, the primary school I went to was tied to a, an Armenian Orthodox church. Um, so, you know, we were, you know, we were a part of the church in the sense of, you know, Easter, Christmas, yeah. um, just the, 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 the major holidays. Uh, my, um, it's like my, not my grandma, but like my aunt grandma, if you will. Um, we used to work at, at, at that church. So we would spend, you know, some time there kind of just hanging out in, in, in the office and whatnot. Um, so I was exposed to Orthodox Christianity early on in life. And I was, you know, you know, baptized and I'm putting air quotes, you can't see me, uh, when I was, you know, pretty young, maybe four or five or so. Um, and I'd sort of lived my life sort of assuming like, I'm a Christian, right? You know, this is what I, what I did when I was younger. Um, we came to the U.S. and we sort of stopped attending church, right? At, at that point, it was no longer um, convenient. Um, and it wasn't something that we, we sought out um, regularly. Um, in fact, when I went to, to college, I went to Loyola Marymount, which is a Jesuit school. Um, so, you know, that's going to be uh, more in line with the, with the Roman Catholic tradition. And similarly, right, there was a chapel. Did they have chapels? Yeah, chapels there and religious services. They the did. Um, the way the school functioned is there was no requirement to attend chapel. Um, the only requirements that were tied to religious studies was you had to take a, like a lower level religious class and an upper level, but it could be anything. Right, so I think, if I remember correctly, um, for my lower level class, and I can't believe I chose this, I, I picked the class solely based on the time slot, and it was the catechism of the Catholic Church. I still don't know what catechism means, but I took that class, and it really was the grace of God that I passed, because everyone in my class had grown up Catholic, mm. and really sort of at least knew. They had been catechized. They had been catechized, apparently. And the, um, the teacher, you know, he's, he's one of the fathers. And I think he realized that I wasn't Catholic early on and kind of just like let me slide by and, and get to the class. Uh, so that was my lower division. And then for upper division, I said, you know what? Like, I'm not doing this again. I'm going to take a class that I hopefully understand. So I took actually a class on uh, Greek Orthodoxy. Um, and, and in that class, I realized I also don't know anything about <laughs> Greek Orthodoxy. Um, so that was really my exposure to, to religion. Um, but I think foolishly going through that, I was still like, oh yeah, like I'm a Christian. I get this. Like, you know, I, I do, I, I, I'm moral. I, I do the right things. Um, you know, there are people that are far worse than me. And I was convinced that you know, if somebody asked me, oh, what, you know, what do you believe? Oh, I believe in God. I'm a Christian. Right. And the conversations tended to kind of just stop there. Um, so it wasn't after I graduated, right? So I'd finished college that I started working, um, here in, in Woodland Hills and I had a coworker. Um, who was at the time attending New Life, and he, you know him and I, we you know we were um, cubicle mates, if you will, if you will. <laughs> we shared a cubicle that we nicknamed the the condo because uh, <laughs> we spent too much time there, um, and you know kind of got to know him, um, and just you know as as we got to know each other, 
he would share about his faith, but, you know, very, very casually, sort of in, in passing. And I would, you know, sort of like politely, you know, listen and, and, and nod along and, and not think too much of it. Um, and then one day he sent an email out to our team. So our team was comprised of like, um, like maybe seven or eight young adults who were newly hired. And the company would hire people kind of in, in classes, right? So our class of about seven or eight people, all recent college grads, um, he sent an email just saying, hey guys, do you want to have a Bible study, right? And I get this email and I'm also like, you know, he's right behind me, so <laughs> he clearly could have just asked me. But I get this email and I think, oh, okay, yeah, sure. But everyone on the team says yes. Wow. So the entire team says yes, we're gonna go have this um, Bible study. And, and were these any, any of them believers at the time? At the time, nobody but um, my coworkers, this is um, John, was a believer. Um, there was one member who was um, of Jewish background, um, but the rest were, you know, maybe Catholic, uh, maybe agnostic, but no, no other believers in, in the group. So the, the first Bible study, we held it at a stone fire just down the street, and we got together. You know, he, he opened up, uh, I want to say he read Mark chapter 1. You know, he read through it. You know, we kind of discussed it, you know, kind of going through. Very, very casual, you know, we, we had dinner. And, and I didn't think too much of it, but I was like, okay, like that was interesting. So then the next week I said, okay, you, know, you guys, excuse me, do you guys want to meet, meet again? And this time only myself and another coworker said yes. So, you know, it kind of like, you know, they've, they've done their due diligence, they, they've said yes. Um, so the three of us got together um, and met. And then the week after that, it was just him and I. And, and I don't think I realized it at the time that I was seeking. Um, I think it was more so like, hey, like, He's a cool guy, making a new friend. Like, this doesn't hurt. Uh, like, you know, like, what, what's the harm? And we would meet regularly for maybe about six months or so, um, not always reading through. So it was, it was kind of like a, a Bible study, but we would just kind of hang out sometimes and, and talk through um, life. And I remember one day he, he sat down and asked me, he said, like, oh, like, like, do you believe you're a Christian? And I had, you know, no hesitation. I just said, yeah, I'm a Christian. And he said, why? And I think that question shook me, right? Because it was like... You have to have reasons. Yeah, I have to have reasons. <laughs> like, I don't know. And then I really started thinking, this is the most of the Bible I've ever read, right? Even, you know, growing up in, in, in the Orthodox Church, you know, granted, we attended very seldom, but I don't recall a time where the Word was opened and read. Right. It was it was very much the the you know the the traditions, right? Lowercase, you know, you got the oh, what is that thing? The, the incense that the incense, they yeah, they wave it back and forth. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and that smell, you know, to this day I, I still still remember. Um, it was that, it was you know, some of the, you know, what sound like Latin chants and all these things that, that would that would take place. But the actual word, right? I, I'd never even opened it. And I we have a Bible, right, at, at home, and it never it's it never felt like something that I'm supposed to read, right? It always felt like, oh, no, 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 like the, the, the priest, right? The, you know, the father, like they read the book and that's sufficient. And then as long as I attend and, you know, agree with them, um, then that would be enough. So when he asked me, you know, why do you believe? I don't even know if I had an answer. I think it was one of those like trying to come up with something to convince him, but there was nothing I, I could say. So from that day on, it became a matter of like, wait, why do I think I'm a Christian? Um, so, and he had shared the gospel, you know, multiple times with me um, before that point. Um, but, you know, my heart wasn't ready for it. Um, but, you know, by God's grace, I was still seeking after him. So from, from that, it turned to like, hey, like, we're having like a, a Bible study. You know, we, we have our, our life groups um, that uh, Justin and Vicky, uh, Kwan, uh, were hosting. And I remember he, Christianity Explored, was that the one? Or? Uh, oh, I, I don't know, maybe. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember, yeah, Michael was, was in that. That's right, that's right. And it's so weird, like now, like looking back, not realizing how many people were praying for me, how many people were like actively um, wanting to get to know me uh, because I went there and it was the first time that I was in someone's house that wasn't a relative. Right, because growing up, it's like you, you don't visit other people. <laughs> you know, you only go to family or family friends. You know, at, at the most. And I remember kind of sitting there, 
And it kind of hit me like, these are all like strangers that come together and you have this, this family who's like hosting and you know, simple things like, you know, snacks and, and drinks and whatnot. But you know, we're staying there till like nine, 10 o'clock at night yeah, sometimes. We, we were going long. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was before we had kids. Uh, <laughs> um, but, but yeah, that, that's, that's incredible because growing up in the church, it's kind of, we're used to it because that's what the church does. But to hear it from somebody who's kind of starting out uh, outside of the church, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, a, it's almost, um, it's like unearthing to be like, wait, this is like commonplace, right? Um, and, and for a moment, I, I kind of realized, oh, like, you know, what I thought made my coworker so like unique, it's like, oh, they're all like this. <laughs> like, they all love people, right? They all live life sacrificially. Um, and, I, and I went there and I think, you know, in my heart, I was like, I'm here to, you know, prove to me that Jesus is who he says he is, right? Prove to me that the, the gospel that is, that is, that is recorded for us is true. Um, so it probably was Christianity <laughs> um, as, as, as the topic. Um, but we, we went through that and it, it was, for me, it definitely, like coming to Christ was a transition. It wasn't a moment in time. Um, I would always say that it was, you know, 2011 going into 2012 is, is when, I, when I came to, to Christ. Um, and it was going through that life group, um, continuing to, to, to meet with, um, with my, well, at that point, my friend, um, that showed me who Christ is and allowed me to say, okay, why do I believe? Right? Well, I believe because Jesus says so. Um, and from that moment, it became this now this journey of like, now what? <laughs> you know, it's like you know you, you have the, the 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 transformation, but now it's like, okay, what, what you know what what do I do with this? Um, so that was uh, you know such a, such a critical point in in my life in terms of my my own faith journey. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Um, yeah, it's good to hear that, especially after the fact. Now that you're able to look back on it a little bit, um, what were what were some of the how have you grown since then? Um, it's been some time. How have you grown spiritually since uh, coming to Christ? Yeah, so I, I think when, whenever I describe like what, what growth as a Christian looks like, um, there's an illustration that I actually use with, with the youth, um, which is I think they call it the, the cross chart. Um, but essentially it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's two lines, one's going sort of, you know, uh, up into the right, one's going, you know, down and into the right. And, and one chart is, uh, one line is, this, is measuring, you know, the holiness of God, right? Uh, whereas the other line is, is measuring the, you know, the fallenness of man, if you will. Um, so for me, a lot of it has been the, the, the more I realize how great God is and the more I realize how fallen I am the bigger the cross is for me, right? The, the, the bigger the need for the cross is, is for me. Um, and I think from, from my own growth, the beginning really was about learning about God and who He is. But I think in the back of my mind, still seeing myself as okay, right? So, so, so seeing that distance widen, not because I'm so fallen, but because God is, is so, so holy. Um, and it wasn't really a thing, I think, until a few years into my, my, my faith that I started really acknowledging, like, like, you know what, like, I'm not okay, right? Like, okay is not <laughs> what we need to, to be. Um, so my, my growth has been, I think, first understanding who God is and then starting to realize who, who I am. Um, and, you know, I mean, <laughs> marriage, right, has, has been a, a real eye-opener, right, of, of just how, you know, how selfish I can be, how impatient I can be. Um, how thoughtless <laughs> I, I, I can be. Um, so those are some ways in which I think I've, I've probably grown the most as, as a believer. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's, that's sanctification. That's, that's Christ in us becoming uh, more like Him. And marriage does that to us. Growing up does that to us. Um, there's a lot of good parts of it, but it's also it's challenging to kind of see ourselves in the mirror, if you will.
Well, your wife, Tiffany, um, she's Asian American. Um, and what have you learned from that experience of being in an interracial marriage? Um, there's obviously joys in marriage, but what, what are some of the things that you've learned in, in that unique situation? So I, th I think I always, so I'm, I'm used to being in interracial um, um, sort of environments, right? So my, my, my parents um, are an interracial um, couple, uh, you know, white and, and, and black. Um, and I think race has always been a very interesting subject for me when, when I think about my, my own upbringing, right? Because when, you know, when I was in Bulgaria, you know, I was kind of joked that, you know, there's, there's three black people in Bulgaria. It's me, my brother, and my sister, right? Um, and, but at the same time, I don't think I ever felt different. Now, mind you, even within Bulgaria, which is, you know, like a, you know, a very white country, um, we were part of a smaller community of Bulgarian Armenians, right? Uh, and I say smaller, like I'm talking, there's like 20 families um, that all sort of you know, live in one area, uh, are all in the same school, in, in the same class. So I grew up with really the same bubble of kids from age five to 10. Um, and you know, they, we all know each other's parents. So you're kind of like in this you know, guarded bubble of, of sorts. Um, and it wasn't really until you kind of go out and about around the, the streets and you kind of go around, so you kind of notice, okay, like you- They look at you funny. Exactly, yeah. you, you stand out. And as I got older, right, um, there's a sense of, um, you know, to Bulgarians, we look like tourists, right? So it's a very different perspective um, for them. So it's, um, the way I even say it is, it's like they're excited because if they think you're a tourist, mm -hmm. then they think, oh, you must be wealthy. Yeah, and you then spend you, money. <laughs> exactly, right? So there's this, this sense of like, oh, like quick, quick, like talk to them, you know, get to know them. Now, mind you, you know, we speak, fluent Bulgarian. <laughs> so there, then it becomes like a, wait, <laughs> you can speak Bulgarian. You, you go through the whole motion like, yes, I speak Bulgarian because I am Bulgarian. And then it becomes more like a cool story that they can tell their, you know, their, their, their friends and family, right? Coming to the U.S., it's a very different dynamic, um, right? Because I mean, within the U.S., right, there's more than three black people. <laughs> and then there's the a history as well. Yeah. Ex exactly. Um, and, and for me, right, even this, this question of, you know, like, do I identify as African-American? And I think it's like, I guess I'm like African European, right? Yeah. Because of like, even my family's history, we don't have history in America, right? We're, we're the first generation um, from, from you know, my family that, that, that's been here. Um, so for us, it's more like, you know, the experience of someone who moved from, you know, from Africa <laughs> to the US in this day and age. Um, it has a very different perspective of, of that. Mm. Um, and, I think in a way though, because we moved to Burbank, now Burbank is also predominantly Armenian, right? White American um, and African American, right? So I was kind of like in this, this world of like, oh, I mean, all three of these groups. Um, and I always tended to sort of gravitate towards like this, I call it the Switzerland role, right? Like I'm in the middle, I don't, I don't, have, I don't have sides. Or neutral. <laughs> exactly, very, very much neutral. Um, and I, I, at the time, I've, I have forgotten most of it. Um, when we came to this, I spoke Armenian, English, and Bulgarian, like almost fluently. Um, I have lost almost all my Armenian and my Bulgarian, my mom will tell you is cute, <laughs> but, but not quite there. Um, but I, I took on this role of like sort of this, this bridge between people. Um, and I was always a floater, right? Um, so, you know, it was hard for me to like identify with, with one group um, because, you know, I was, I was raised very different. And I, I, I remember people be like, oh, like, you know, you don't sound black. And it's like, well, I don't know what that means or what that's supposed to, to sound like. But I mean, I sound like the people I grew up with when I was in, in Bulgaria, right? Yeah. I mean, I had a thicker accent than I probably do, um, do now. Um, so then getting married to Tiffany, <laughs> who is, um, you know, so she's, she's Chinese by, I guess, blood, if you, if you will. Yeah. But her family's from the Philippines, right? So there's sort of that, that, that mix between Filipino and, and, and Chinese culture um, where I think, you know, I think they would identify as both Chinese and, and Filipino. Um, but like for us to kind of mesh all these, these cultures together, 
I mean, Tiffany grew up in the U.S. I mean, she's born and raised, I would say she's born in Texas. Yeah. <laughs> she's raised in, in, in California. Um, but I don't think, um, you know, I identify her as her Chineseness, if, 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 that's, a, if that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I really just know her as Tiffany, right? Yeah. And, 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 yeah. and, you know. And there's a richness when you start to see all those different cultures blending together. Yes, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, so for, for us, I think being an interracial couple, um, it doesn't really come up too often. Um, we've actually, we haven't talked about it. I think we've thought about this in terms of like, you know, with a child on the way, like, first, like, I, we don't even know how, what this hell is going to look like, <laughs> right? Um, but then secondly, it's like, are we going to teach them Different languages, mm-hmm. um, you know, what what cultural traditions are we going to to you know um, pass on? Like, are they American? Like, is, you know, is that sure. is that their is that their first um, identity? H- how do we even um, navigate that? Um, because we've it's it's a whole new experience now where I think we kind of have to like think about what our culture is and 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 build our life um, with sure. it. So yeah, I don't, I don't know yet. Yeah, before, before you just had to deal with your own culture and your own life, and, but now you have to think about a, a third person and what they're gonna go through and how that's gonna work. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. Yeah. Um, and some of that, the, the grandparents obviously are gonna have a, a role in defining. Um, but, but speaking about race and culture, this, this past year, that's been a huge issue. And even though you have your own self-identity, other people look at you and they'll say, African-American male, um, this is who you are. Uh, how, how have you wrestled with some of the issues that have either come up this past year or you've seen throughout your life? What, what are some of the ways that you've dealt with those race issues? Yeah, um, it's, been, it's been quite the, the year. Um, I think I've, I've learned that um, perception matters. Right. Um, no matter what I tell myself, like you know, I identify as X. Like how you're perceived is how people are going to to respond to you. And you um, can't always change that. I mean, that, that's on them. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like it, it is what it is. Um, and I think that there's times where, where I, I even struggle internally in terms of um, do you like do you feed into it? Um, do you ignore it completely, or do you make small changes or small sacrifices for the benefit of others, right? Um, and, and I can see an argument for all three, three um, cases, but I think I naturally tend to go towards the make small sacrifice for the benefit of others. And, and what I mean by that is um, something as simple as, you know, and we've talked about this before, right? Like if, if, I, if I'm driving to a new community, right? Um, and I'm waiting for my friend to, to get home, right? I won't just sit in front of the in the, front of the house in the car, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, perception matters, yeah. right? Even if it's you know wrong, even if it's sinful, perception matters, right? Um, something as simple as like I don't wear hoodies, yeah. right? Which seems like such a silly thing to to have to do, but it's a matter of like, well, like I don't need to wear a hoodie, um, and I'm willing to make that small sacrifice um, for the betterment of others. Now. I don't think that's the right thing to do, um, but at times it's kind of the the necessary thing. The right thing to have to do. Yeah, ex- exactly. You don't exactly. think society should be putting those uh, restrictions on mm-hmm. people, what they wear and all that sort of thing. Yeah, and it's kind of like, just because it's not ideal, it doesn't mean that it's not the world that, that, we, that we live in. Um, so I, I think over the, this past year, um, there's definitely been the, the, been the sense of you know, I think people kind of talking to me about race <laughs> a bit more than, than they usually do. Um, and I have to acknowledge for myself is my experience, and everyone's experience is unique, right? But my experience is not very useful um, in terms of like what is the African-American experience, mm-hmm. right? Um, because even, even like socioeconomically where I am and the interactions that I have are very different, right? Um, than what sometimes we see, you know, portrayed by by the media and, and how it's how it's talked about, um, and that's n- neither good nor nor bad. Um, but 
I can't say that like, oh, like just do this and, and, and you'll be fine um, because it's a very different um, circumstance. Um, in fact, I would say I probably understand less than most people think that I, I should about the, um, the issues. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and I think that's wise that you take that approach. Um, you can talk about your own life, but not necessarily everybody else's. Mm -hmm. um, when, when, you, when you think about that, though, uh, you're also a Christian by identity, and you hold to the gospel, which is not, I mean, it, it hasn't really been in the news. It hasn't been what people are talking about at the protests all the time. Um, how does the gospel help you think differently about all those race issues, cultural issues, uh, when you process it for yourselves or when you're, when you're talking about it with somebody else? Yeah, um, I think having your identity first and foremost in, in Christ um, makes life a lot easier. Um, I, I think that when all these issues come up, right, and we talk about is it an issue of, you know, is it racism or is, is, is it hate? Um, is it fear? Like, you know, we, we have all these labels that we're, we're trying to, to fix and we're trying to sort of educate away. Um, and, and I know it's, it's, it's sin, right? There, there's, there's no, you know, we have different words for forms of sin, but the root cause is, is sin, right? And if, if, if the goal is to just end racism, like that's great, right? It has some value. It's like get rid of sin. <laughs> exactly. But what if we just did all of it, right? Yeah. But it's like you you can't um, you can't educate sin away, right? It's it's not a matter of lack of knowledge. Um, I think you know it's kind of like you know we talk about you know cages and animals. Right? You can put an animal in a cage and it'll it'll restrain it, right? That's what the law is is, is meant to do, but it can't eradicate it, right? It, it, you can't control it. You're just putting these sort of these parameters around it. So when I think about, you know, having an identity in Christ and knowing that the problem isn't, you know, it's not a race problem. It's not a gender problem. It's not a, you know, nationality problem. It's, it's a sin problem. It helps me approach, I think, some of these, these conversations from a perspective of grace, right? Uh, and I always say like, you know, like, I don't want us to leave this conversation and me being like, yes, I convince them not to be racist. That's a win. It's like, no, the win is they've come to the Lord, mm. right? Like it, it's, it's the gospel that needs to be communicated. Um, so I think I, I more so get more personally offended is when the gospel gets muddied by issues of, of race, mm. right? When someone tries, you know, to, to use the gospel wrong, right? To, to sure. twist it for their own agenda, as opposed to for what it is, right? For all people. Or, or sometimes when the offenders are proclaiming also to be Christians. Yeah. And, and that muddies the testimony in that respect. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think we can also, we can commend those who are making the society better in the same way that we could commend someone for caging a wild animal. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's, it's we do want to see people come to Christ. Uh, we do want to see people growing in the Lord and, and not just having a better life. Yeah. And so, yeah, that's, that's, that's helpful. Um, when, when, you, when you're processing um, uh, these things for yourself, uh, you, you said there's, there's times when we need to take a stand, there's times when uh, we should say something or, or push back. Uh, we have friends who have protested mm -hmm. or, or made certain statements. Um, for, for you, when you think about that, is there a, a place where, um, as Christians, we should be standing with those who are making those statements, even if we, they may not be Christians themselves? Yeah, um, that's, that's a hard one. Um, I, I do think there's, there's definitely situations in, in which um, we, we should, right? Um, we should you know, stand up for the weak, right? For, for those who are being um, persecuted. Um, I think the difficulty is having a clear message within it. Um, you know, sometimes just, you know, standing by and, and supporting is, is valuable. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about, you know, the best way to care for someone is to care about the things they care about, mm, right? Um, you know, open up that, um, that door for conversation. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it's kind of like um, if someone is struggling with, with hunger, right, and you're not willing to, to feed them, like, 
that's an extension of, of our love as, as Christians, right? Um, the gospel is not the, you know, the alternative, right? It's, it's the ultimate goal, right? But there, there are ways that we can physically care for one another. Um, so, you know, social justice, right? Those issues, um, I think, are important for, for the church to, to address and, and be open about um, and to acknowledge that, that, you know, even if the solutions are temporary, mm-hmm. there's still good in, in them. Right. It's, it's a felt need that a lot of people in society are, are dealing with right now is, mm-hmm. is that need for justice and that need to see things made right. And, and so like even though you're saying like we, we can't transform society just by human effort, it's, it's need to be able to see that we can stand with people who are concerned about justice and, and have that be a way to say, hey, I care about you. Yeah. I care about the things that you're passionate about. And uh, so I, that's, that's wonderful. Um, how have you seen, um, we're talking about the challenges of this past year, how have you seen those conversations or those interactions lead to blessings uh, in your life and in your relationships? Um, I think it's really opened up conversations with, with family. Um, you know, I think being in a very interracial family, we kind of don't talk about a lot of these things, even though we all have very similar experiences. Um, so I think it's been really encouraging to sort of, you know, check in with my sister, with, with my brother, um, even with, with Tiffany, and just have these conversations about things that maybe we don't talk about because they make us uncomfortable or they kind of force you to, you know, dig up things that, that, that may, be, may be painful. Um, but I think it's been really valuable to to have these conversations, right, you know, that, that, that are happening all around us and to realize that even if we don't have the, the, you know, the answers to the little things, it's okay to talk about them, right? Just to, to have that, um, you know, that platform for yeah. people to, to listen. You're learning um, about each other. Mm-hmm. You're learning about yourself. Exactly. Um, you don't need all the answers. <laughs> that, that's a relief. Um, that's good. That's yeah. Good. And even with, um, you know, with some of um, the, the kids and the youth, right, like, I think sometimes we assume, or we, I shouldn't say assume, I think we wish that they're not aware of these things, but we, we know that they're aware of all these things that are happening. Um, and just not talking about it doesn't mean it's going to, to go away. That might be the worst thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's, it's sort of challenged me to say like, hey, like, you know, you guys are thinking about these things, let's talk to them. Like, how can we look at this through a scriptural lens um, and come at it in a, in, a, you know, in a way that is open to information and, you know, see, you know, don't, don't come in with the answer and, you know, disregard what they're saying, um, but to be able to really apply what we, we know about scripture and to see um, it play out in, in real life. Yeah, no, that's, that's neat. As you think about being a youth leader and talking about some of those sensitive subjects, talking about the Bible, um, how do you approach it when you know that their parents might have a different perspective? How do you respect the parents, but also like talk about these kids that you're ministering to? Oh, yeah, that's always a, a fun one. Um, I think it starts with um, sticking to the Bible, right? Um, I, I, I try as much as I can not to infuse conversations with my own personal beliefs um, because they're personal, right? They, they have no authority. <laughs> they are just what I feel is, is right. Um, but, but staying in scripture, right? And oftentimes pointing them to like, okay, like you have this question, let's go through the word, mm. right? Let, let, let's come to an answer together. Uh, I mean, a few years ago, we, we, we did a series, um, it was like a Q&A series, where the kids dropped off questions and we went through them and we spent a whole year kind of answering these very specific questions um, and saying like, well, what does the word have to say about this, right? Um, you know, we talked about capital punishment, we talked about homosexuality, we talked about 
um, you know, relationships. We, we, we talked about conflict. These, all these are youth questions. Yeah, these are youth questions <laughs> okay. uh, that, you know, some of them were like super generic, some were super specific. Um, but we were like, okay, like you have these questions right now, right? And the first question is like, does the Bible have something to say about it, right? And the answer is, yeah, right? The Bible is you know, authoritative, it's, it is sufficient. Um, but the question is like, well, what does it have to, to say, right? So I think going to the word, and for me, a, a big philosophy I have in youth ministry is I don't want them to, to leave True Vine unequipped to actually handle the word of God, mm. right? Um, like I want them to leave and be like, oh yeah, yeah, that guy, I forgot who he was, he kept going to scripture, yeah. right? I want to remember scripture, not, not the, the vessel that that points to it. Um, so oftentimes it's like, well, let's, let's look at the question. Let's go to the word and see what the word has to say so they can get comfortable, you know, the next time they have a question to go to the word and look for what the word has to, to say. Um, so when it comes to like then, you know, balancing that with, with the parents, it comes down to like, well, I mean, if your parents aren't going to the word, like then that's, that's their opinion. And I can respect it, but it's not going to trump what the word has to say, right? Um, and you know, thankfully, right, we, we, our parents have been gracious thus, thus far. Uh, we haven't had any you know, big um, conflicts come up, um, but that's always gonna be like, you know, like if, if I'm wrong, right, that's easy to own up to, right? But scripture's not wrong, right? So that's always going to be the sort of the, the, the backbone of any, any message that, um, that we teach. Yeah, that's great. That's encouraging to hear. Um, we, we have been in a pandemic uh, this past year, and I'm sure youth ministry has been different than how you have usually run it. What, what were some of the challenges and the joys this past year of youth ministry in a pandemic? I'll start with the joys. I, I, I think, um, so like many people back in March of 2020, um, we were naive to think that this lockdown is gonna last two weeks. Um, so when it first begun, I remember being like, okay, that's fine, you know, we'll, we'll skip next week's meeting. When things calm down, we'll be back in person. Right, week passed by and it looks like we're still gonna be locked down. Um, so I said, okay, well, we'll skip another week and then we'll come back, right? Not, not I think, realizing the gravity of, of the situation. But that second week, our youth decided to get together over Zoom. Right, so we had one of one of our, our middle school, actually high school boys, put together you know a, a room, got about you know eight kids in there, and then they met. And I remember, um, it his mother or his father texted me saying like, "Hey, like the kids are meeting today, if you want to like check in on them." <laughs> so I was like, "Okay, like I'll, I'll crash their little little Zoom party." So you know, I, I jumped in. This is my first time probably using Zoom, right? Which yeah. sounds weird to say, and was just so like touched by the fact that they wanted to meet. You know, with each other, and they like ran their own meeting, and I was that you know that old man on, in, in in the group, but it showed me like, hey, like okay, like this is possible, like we we can do this, right? So then you know we 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 adjusted, we we made some changes, and we went you know 100% um, virtual from from then, um, which, you know the the benefit of that is it's more accessible now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had, I mean, I would say stronger attendance um, than we had in person. Um, largely because the kids can't go anywhere, <laughs> so they're <laughs> they always <laughs> exactly they're always available on on Friday night. Um, but but I can I genuinely feel like they want to be there, mm. right? Um, because I mean they could be doing nothing, right? Yeah, and, and that's right. that's an option for for a lot of them. So it's better than nothing. <laughs> exactly, it's better than than nothing. Um, but I mean it's been what you know more than twelve months now. We, we've been meeting virtually. Um, I think that the kids have adapted to this, this new style. Um, they're becoming more comfortable. I mean, we, we've had to take in a whole new class of sixth graders mm. who have never been in the youth room, who have never you know, met some of us in, in person. Um, and I think it actually kind of makes that transition a little easier, right? I mean, you join a Zoom call and maybe they're looking at you, maybe they're not, right? Mm-hmm. Very different than walking into a room for the, for the first time. Um, so that's been, I think, a, a blessing in terms of, I think the kids have gotten more comfortable a lot quicker mm-hmm. than they, they usually would. Um, now, granted, I mean, not meeting in person, it's hard, right? A lot of what the kids also enjoy is, you know, game time and just like, you know, refreshments and, and, and socializing. Yeah. And you can try to emulate some of that virtually, but 
It's not the same. It's not the same. It usually ends up being more awkward than it, it, it needs to be. Right. Um, but you know, another big joy that we've had actually is we've had a, a family who um, used to attend New Life. They you know they moved out of state. Their kids came to to our our our, um, our meeting. So they've been you know with us for the past maybe seven eight eight months now. Wow. Um, so it's like you know it's it's opens up the the, the ministry to I mean the whole world really yeah. uh, in terms of being able to to join. So it's it's sort of it's shown us that there is potential, right, to to use this sort of virtual technology um, to do things that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. Um, another area is, you know, I, I used to be this mindset of like, I talk to kids on Friday, Sunday, and like not in between, right? And now, you know, we have, you know, a Discord channel where the kids can communicate with each other and, you know, it's a Tuesday morning and someone's, you know, asking questions about so-and-so and you're being able to kind of communicate throughout the week and it feels like more of a, of a community than this thing you visit on Sundays and mm. Fridays and, and, and whatnot. Um, so that's been something that I would love for us to carry forward, even out of the pandemic, um, to have that accessibility to, to one another um, as well as to the, the sponsors. Yeah, that's great. That's great. I think um, there are so many blessings that that come out of difficult times that we're mm. not even expecting we're not even looking for um, so so those are some of them um, but we are coming out of this I mean it seems like society's starting to open up a little bit uh, I know true vines usually off during the summers uh, but what are you looking forward to this coming year as far as youth ministry and and uh, the things that are on the slate so much. Um, getting back together. Um, you know, Lord willing, by the fall, we'll be able to be in person. Um, we, we generally have made a rule of thumb to sort of take a break for the summer. Um, a lot of families travel, so it's hard to be consistent. Um, and it gives the sponsors a, a good, you know, three-month break from, from the ministry. Uh, but this summer, because we're sort of, you know, coming out of the pandemic, hopefully, mm -hmm. um, we're, we're going to sort of hijack the, the, the park days. Uh, that that Lowell's putting on and and use those as ways to to get the kids out of the house back in person together Because um, we know there's going to be that discomfort in the beginning when we're in in person together um, So some outdoor, you know activities kind of get them running around, um, you know being being kids again um, And then you know, we're even looking forward to sort of you know, redecorating and redesigning the, the youth room to create a, a more inviting space um, for them. Um, I mean, simple things like just having snacks out <laughs> for yeah. the kids to, yeah, right. to eat, uh, you know, playing foosball with, with, with them. Um, yeah, I think it's going to be a challenge that we have to be very intentional about of how do we get them comfortable in person because a lot of them, I mean... Yeah. They haven't even been in school, yeah. right? Yeah, it's they're stuck in their homes. So I think it's great that you're able to uh, to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we we are so grateful for your ministry uh, to the youth and, and all that, that that you've been doing with them. Uh, what about yourself? Uh, for for you and Tiffany, what are some of the ways that you would say this past year uh, with the pandemic? How have you grown, either individually or as a couple, uh, over this past year? Um, so I, I think, um, and I'll speak maybe more for Tiffany in, in the beginning, um, you know, she was working at a hospital, right, which is you know, sort of front line of, of, of things. Um, and, and initially, she, you know, she had to stop working for some time um, and then eventually, you know, stepped away from, from work, which is a big transition for us because we've, we've talked about her sort of winding down some of her, her responsibilities um, as we kind of prepare to, to, to start a family. But it was never like the right time, if, if you will. So the pandemic sort of forced our, our hand. Um, and it was really sweet, I think, to see that um, we can move beyond work as being sort of that, that, that primary um, identity. And I think just to see, I think her passion for people continue to spill over into biblical counseling and, you know, kind of um, start to ramp up on some of the, the reading mm -hmm. and, and, and the writing. Um, I think, you know, now we're spending every hour of, of the day um, together. Um, that has been, You're working from home. That's right. She, she's taken some time off. Mm -hmm. And that's good. That's good, yeah. And, and it, it's been really sweet. I, I, I know that, you know, in, in the very beginning, right, you know, a lot of the ministry sort of like we're on pause as things sort of stabilize. 
Um, and it kind of helped us realize that, you know, a lot of our calendar was like events and, and people that we're seeing and, you know, dinners and this and that. Um, and it's really easy to kind of get caught in this like busyness of, of, of life um, and kind of see it as like, oh, you know, it's a season, you know, when things calm down, we'll have more time for one another. Um, but it kind of forces us to have time for, for one another. Um, so it, it was a good, I think, wake up call of like, hey, like, let's go back to the basics, right? Let's, let's really spend time intentionally together. Um, so one big thing that we, we would do is um, we, well, we had one dog at a time, though we have two dogs. Uh, every day, right, we, we would go in, in the afternoon and we'd walk our dogs. Um, and it was something that before was kind of like a chore that we had to do, right? So usually, you know, I would come home from work and I'll take, you know, the dog out, you know, quickly and come back. It, it wasn't really anything that was um, time well spent, if you will. Mm -hmm. But now I became like a, hey, like, you know, every day, you know, four o'clock, five o'clock, whatever time, let's go out there. And we'd walk for, you know, an hour, hour and a half sometimes. Oh, yeah. And it actually became a really interesting way to meet so many neighbors in, in our neighborhood. Um, we would, you know, you walk the same area enough times you start to kind of learn people's patterns and you know when they're out and people are, I mean, when you have a dog, people are super friendly to you, right? right, right, they, right. Like if you're walking by yourself with no dog, it's weird. <laughs> you put a dog on a leash, uh, people trust you. Um, but we met a few neighbors and like, and got to really know them and like, and it's, it's, it's like these five minute conversations five times a week, you yeah. know, yeah. four times, you know, it, it just, it adds up to, getting to know who they are and, and, and their kids and their, you know, when their next party is and all the, these things. Um, and that was a time where, you know, in between seeing people, like her and I can actually check in on each other and, and see how things are doing. Mm. You know, I think we definitely, um, you know, fell victim to the whole, well, you live together, so you, you know what's going on. Mm. When in reality, you're just kind of, you know, moving through the same space um, together. Um, so that was really good, I think, dedicating that time. And I remember being like, I'm leaving my phone at the house. Mm -hmm. Like I, I'm not bringing it with me. Um, and we're gonna go. We're just gonna we're gonna talk about the, the things that we're praying for, the things that we're struggling with, um, and really enjoyed that time with her um, daily. Um, so much that now that she's pregnant, and for the for the for the beginning, she actually was sort of more more bedridden and and couldn't go out. And I was like, oh, like that's what feels out. Like we haven't had that like yeah. time together. So now she does a good job of like every now and then being like, hey, let's just like sit on the couch. Right. And just you know, check in with with each other, uh, you know, study together, read together, whatever it may be. So um, the pandemic has kind of forced us to sort of shed away a lot of these distractions and really concentrate on on one another, um, which especially with the you know a newborn on the way, um, we know how easy it is going to be for us to kind of get caught up in everything about the baby. Mm -hmm. And you thought two dogs was distracting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we got to start walking the, the baby <laughs> so yeah. as, as a way. Um, but yeah, so I, I think it's sort of, you know, gotten us in this routine of like, hey, let's, let's, let's make time for ourselves every day. I mean, we've had, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner together yeah. <laughs> every day for the past uh, year. Um, and that's been just such a, such a blessed time. Mm, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I think the pandemic has... Uh, caused a lot of people to, to look at their marriages differently, um, but, but thankfully it's bringing people closer together. Mm -hmm. And so I love what you're doing, just trying to build intimacy into your daily routine. Um, as, as, you, um, as you think about it, what are, what are some of the ways that you pray for your wife and your future child? Uh, what are some of those uh, prayer requests that you have as you're thinking about it? I think the the first prayer I have, and it's you know starts like with with, with me, with with Tiffany, and, and with the baby, is how do we put God first um, in in a very practical standpoint? Um, I think it's really it's really easy to mix up what is urgent with what's important, right? Um, you know, first thing you do when I get out of bed, you know, is it oh I gotta make sure I feed the dogs and I you know. Um, get breakfast and, and, and go to work, or, or am I actually um, being nourished by by the word? Right. So my prayer really is for myself to instill this God first mentality um, in our family, right? Um, and to know that it, you know it starts with me, right? Because it's I know like myself, like if I if I I can become complacent in just my time with the word, my time in prayer, um, and I've, I think I've 
come to realize more and more like that role that God has given me as, as a husband and now as a father, um, it is up to me to actually follow through. And that when I don't, right, it starts sort of trickle onto Tiffany yeah. and it'll trickle on, on, onto the family. Um, and it's no longer like my complacency is only damaging me. It's going to damage you know, our, our, our whole family. Um, so my prayer is really for, for me to really step into that role and create that atmosphere um, so that that can then flow through to, to them. Um, I think another, another prayer that I have, um, I think it's just for, I think for clarity in terms of like, what do we do? Like, you know, what do we do next, right? There's so many options out there and how to make the right decisions um, and to make them for the right reasons. Um, you know, I, I've been blessed with a, you know, a lovely wife um, who is always open to instruction, um, but it's like, I need to have that instruction <laughs> to right, then right. be able to actually uh, deliver on, on those um, responsibilities. Yeah, yeah. Well, like you were telling the, the youth, um, answers are found in God's word. Mm. You, you ask God for wisdom, James 1, and, and he'll give it to you. And, and so I, I think you, you are on the right path. You're, you're looking in the right places. And I am so encouraged by hearing your story. Um, so thank you for, for sharing your story on the podcast today. Uh, it's been a joy to, to listen to you and, and, and talk with you today. And, and so thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This has been a, a blast. Thank you for listening to Every People's Podcast. To find more information about stories, visit tomsugi.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, feel free to subscribe or leave us a review. A special thank you to Lowell Sue for technical and audio support and our host, Tom Sugimura, for preparing this interview. My name is John Park, your producer, and I hope to see you again next Monday. Until then. Forget